Today we are talking about one of the most popular psalms. The title of today's song of our summer mixtape is All of Me. It's one of those popular songs, perhaps only eclipsed by Psalm 23 in popularity, which, by the way, we are not going to cover Psalm 23 this summer. And some of you say, how can you do a summer mixtape of the greatest hits of Psalms and not have that? That's because in the fall, we're going to spend four or five weeks in Psalm 23 by itself. This psalm today was a regular part of Jewish worship since its writing until this day. It's a major part of Christian history. It is the inspiration for countless hymns, perhaps even for one of the most famous hymns, the doxology. In fact, the doxology is set to a rhythm, to a meter, to a melody that is called by the name of this song. Some believe that it is the impetus for the central theme of the Westminster Confessional, which answers in question number one, what is the chief end of man? And it says in response to that, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It has been called the hymn of the Reformation because of the influence it had on those who would reform the church over 500 years ago. It is the conclusion of a series of psalms that describe God's ultimate kingship. And there are lines in it that you will recognize immediately as we read it. Today we will be reading and talking about and asking God to give us an understanding of the old hundred, Psalm 100. You can turn there in your Bibles to Psalm 100. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you that you can turn to. It'll be almost in the middle of that book. You get over to the middle and find your way pretty quickly there. But Psalm 100 is our psalm for the day. It starts with this little description. That's the only description we get, which is a psalm of thanksgiving. By the way, there are 150 psalms. Um, we're only covering a small portion of them over the next few weeks, over the last few weeks, and the next few weeks. This is the only psalm that has that as the inscription on it. A psalm of thanksgiving. Psalm 100, verse 1. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this joyful song and a reminder, Lord, of our calling to be joyful in worship of you. We pray today, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our wills and our desires and our preferences and our stubbornness. Lord, that we would lay all that on the table and allow you to speak into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 100 consists of seven commands and six reasons in two main sections. There are three commands, 
a command about the reasons and three more commands, and there are three reasons at the edge of both of those. People that break down this psalm, just like Psalm 119 is a grammatical masterpiece, talk about how unbelievable it is that all of this fits together in the sections that it does, in the way that it does, in the structure that is there. We could spend an hour on the structure of Psalm 100, but we will not. And all of God's people said, Amen. We're just going to talk about two main points and what they mean for us. And the first main point is there in the first three verses. We are to joyfully praise the Lord. By the way, let me just say this real quickly. What we're about to talk about are seven commands. What's the difference between a command and a suggestion? What's the difference? A command is required. A suggestion is optional. We're going to talk about some commands that many of you in this room, if you're honest, consider optional. But are commands. The first one of these is found right here. Shout triumphantly. We'll get back to that in a minute. The second one is serve with gladness. We'll get back to that in a minute. And the third is enter with joyful songs or singing. And we'll get back to that. But I want you to notice in all of these, there is a central attitude that is the essence of what is to be done in coming into the house of the Lord. By the way, most people feel this is a call to worship for the people of God. This was them entering into the temple. This would be said after coming in almost like you're walking in. This is who you are. This is what's there. And there are two attitudes that ought to be a part of what we do when we enter into the sanctuary, the worship center, the place where we have set aside the worship God for together, And the first attitude that is obvious in these first verses is that we ought to enter with joy. Pure joy. And that if there is any attitude that should flow from the lives of believers, it is joy. Happiness. Charles Spurgeon once said that our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. Christians should be the most joyous, fun, exciting people on the face of the earth. I don't know where it became commonplace that Christians should be serious all the time, or austere, or dignified. That's not what the Bible describes us as. The Bible describes those of us that are followers of Jesus that we should be people that are madly in love with the Savior and the God who has saved our souls. And we are running around town declaring His goodness and showing it off any way we can. I don't know where it became commonplace that the most reserved time of your week should be the hour you spend in worship on Sunday morning. Somehow we mixed up the word reverence with quiet and still. That's not what it means in Scripture. Our journey on this earth should be a testimony to the happiness of our good God. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said this, he said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. No offense, undertakers. 
But you get the point, right? It just looks like it's not fun. Shame on us as believers for making the world think that Christianity and following Christ is not fun. Amen. We are boring people. If you ask people their views of Christianity outside the church, the number one, two, and three are things like hypocrisy and judgmental and boring. We are literally boring people to heaven. And I mean that in the way that people look at our lives and think, why in the world would I want to investigate the claims of Jesus? And they end up walking away into an eternity separated from Him. Even in this moment, it's real tense in this room. It ought to be a place of vibrancy and joy and fun. That's not me. That's Scripture. Right? What is Psalm 100? What's the, 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 the first thing? Love the Lord. We'll get to that in a minute. What is the next one? Shout triumphantly to the Lord. When's the last time you shouted at worship? I think your past is 15 years. For some of you, it's been at least 15 years. I can tell you that. Alright? I'll blame you shout. You can shout. That's alright. There we go. But the word here, by the way, does not mean if you go deep into it and go, what does the word shout there? What does it really mean in the original language? You know what it means in the original language? Shout. It was a war cry. It was a declaration. When a king entered into a city, they would shout victoriously, our king is the best king. Our kingdom is the best kingdom. Glory to our king. Joshua 6, 16 says this. After the seventh time, anybody know where they are, by the way? Where? Joshua, this is the seventh time, anybody know where they are? Jericho, right? After the seventh time, the priest blew the ram's horn, and Joshua said to the troops, same word as Psalm 100. Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. What happened next? The walls came tumbling down. Shout! 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord... Y'all know how important that was, right? When the ark of the covenant of the Lord entered the camp, all the Israelites raised such a loud shout, same word in Psalm 100, that the ground shook. When's the last time the ground shook because of what's happening in this place? You say, well, we don't have the ark of the covenant in our sin. No, but Jesus Christ has died for our sins and has risen again. And it is better news than the ark of the covenant entering the city any day. Ezra 3.11 They sang the praise and thanksgiving to the Lord for He is good and faithful love to Israel and yours forever. Then all the people gave a shout of praise same word, because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. Throughout the Old Testament you see this shout metaphor happening, this shout happening as people recognize the victory of our King. There is nothing demure, there is nothing reserved, there is nothing polite or moderated about it. This is a whole nothing back cry. This is 
entry into battle on the way through, screaming at the top of your lungs as you run towards the enemy. This is OMC level of century kids screaming and yelling your cheers. This is home team hitting the last shot with no time left on the clock kind of cheers. Isn't it ridiculous that in our day, Stories are told about running backs making amazing runs, causing earthquakes because of the roar of the people when it made the run more than the people of God shaking the earth. Shouts. But not just shouting. There's some, there's some people that are good as Christians at shouting. This isn't shouting at people. This isn't shouting negative things. This is shouting triumphantly to the Lord because of who He is and what He has done. The second, we only have one command. Second command is to serve the Lord with gladness. The word serve there literally means, in a religious context, it was a word also used as work of any kind, but in the religious context, it meant worship. It meant to give what you had to the Lord and to sacrifice. It says that there is no difference between work and worship, and that we are to do our lives in accordance with what God has called us to do, that we are to live our lives in accordance with what God has called us to do, and we're to do that with gladness. I've seen some saints serve with moaning, and I've heard some saints serve with complaining. But you don't have to be sad to be sanctified, and you don't have to be gloomy to be holy. In fact, if you are saved and are on the course to follow Christ, you're going to serve with gladness. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one of you give if he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word, by the way, cheerful there means hilarious. Laughing giver. The call here is similar to the call that we have in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. I read a story this week of a lady in Boston who's been cleaning the same office complex for 40 years. Same job, 40 years, day after day. One of the local news agencies got kind of tipped off to this, and when it interviewed her, it just kind of said, we just wonder, what, how do you keep it from getting boring? And she said, I don't get bored. I use clean materials that God has provided. I clean objects that belong to people that God made, and I make life more comfortable for them. My mom is the hand of God for these people. She served with gladness. We were shout triumphantly, joyously. We are to serve with gladness, and then we are to enter with singing. Come before him with joyful songs. The word come there is the exact same word that is used in verse 4 for enter. It's the exact same. It is this parallelism that happens in this Hebrew point. And it's saying that we are to enter, come into his presence with jubilation, rising songs and cries of worship based on our relationship of who he is in our lives. And I've told y'all before that I am not what you would call a gifted singer. 
I am what Rick Warren once described as a prison singer. I'm always behind a few bars and never have the right key. <laughs> That's not exactly true. Cliff Forbes, some of you don't remember Cliff Forbes, a few of you, right? Cliff told me one time backstage, we're getting ready to come out. And for those of you who don't know, Cliff was a part of our church. He's now the vocal uh, director for Southern Methodist University. He's a worldwide, world-renowned tenor, opera singer, had an unbelievable voice. And he told me behind stage one time, he said, Wow, you know, when you're on key, you've got a pleasant voice. And I said, how often is that? He goes, not as often as I'd like for it to be. And I said, thanks, bro. Appreciate it. One of my, one of my uh, directives to our sound crew that does such a great job each week is this. Do not turn my microphone on during the song portion of the programming. Y'all don't need to hear that. But I can tell you something. I love this thing. And I love this thing because I have a God that is worth singing about. I love to declare in the place that I can His glory. There's an interesting part of this song that we just kind of skipped over, but it's important for us to understand. And it starts in verse 1 at the very beginning. Let the whole earth... Now, here's the reality there. It's not saying that everyone's actually going to understand who God is. What it's saying is, oh, that the world would. And it has a couple of reasons for doing that. First of all, it means that you have no excuse not to sing, not to shout, not to serve the Lord. I've heard the excuses. I'm not a good singer. Get over it. Someone once said, if you are not a good singer and you sing, maybe the person next to you who is will sing louder to drown you out. Maybe that's just what happens. I get this. I hear this sometimes. I'm just not a singer. It's not I'm not a good singer. I just don't sing. All I know is throughout Scripture, one of the most common ways that people give praise to God when they are filled with God's love and spirit is they can't help but sing. Even when you don't feel like it, sing. Even when it doesn't make sense, sing. The other reason that it says that we are to declare this all the earth is because it is intended to be something that we do before and with others. This shout triumphantly, this enter with serving with gladness, entering with singing, is something we are to do with others in a congregational setting and not the privacy of our own selves. There's a difference between telling someone something good about them and proclaiming something good about them to others. There would be a difference if on a dessert fellowship here at the church. That sounds like a great idea we ought to do sometime, right? No, no meal, just desserts, just bring desserts. That somebody makes an unbelievable chest pie. It's one thing to go up to them and over in the corner say, I need to talk to you about something. And scare them to death for a couple of minutes about what that is and then say to them, that was the best chest pie I've ever had. And then walk away. There's a difference between that and standing up in front of everyone and going, You're not going to believe the chest pie that I just had from this person. Right? 
Our praise and worship of God ought to be, you're not going to believe the God that I serve. Not just in here, but in the world in which we live. And here's the reason for all of that. It tells us in the third verse of why. Why do we shout triumphantly? Why do we serve the Holy Gladness? Why do we come home with joyful song? And it tells us because we are to acknowledge, or know is the word. Acknowledge is a great translation of that. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He is Lord. He is overall. That He is not a God of a territory. He is not God of a certain place or a certain situation. He is God of all. He is Lord of all. He is the one, the only, the ultimate. He is God Almighty. And we acknowledge that there is no hope outside of Him. There is there is no God like Him. There is no other like our God. He alone is God. He is holy and just and righteous and good. He is omniscient and all around us. He knows the beginning from the end. He is Alpha and Omega. He is beginning and the end. He is the one who started it all and will bring it to completion. He is the one that lives eternally without limits and has no one that can speak into him because he is the holder of all truth. He is the Lord God. There is no other. And there is no one worthy of the praise that belongs to our God. Not only that, He is the Creator. He made us. The complete understanding of that is that we would not exist without God's decision to create. And so everything that we have in life is only because God decided that we should be here. And that is both in the macro level of all things are created by God, but also in the micro level of that you are knit together by God. Psalm 139, another psalm that we're not going to get to this summer and this, this, this round. But in Psalm 139 it talks about the fact that we are intimately knit and weaved by God in the womb. That God is the foundation of all life. God is the foundation of our life. He made us. Even more importantly than that, He is the Lord God. He made us and He chose us. We are His. His people. The sheep of His pasture. It's almost as if in this explosion of praise that is happening, there is a moment where we stop and just consider for a moment the sheer craziness of the fact that God has made us His people. Shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Enter into His presence with joyful singing because the Lord is God. And He made us and we are His. That's the first big section. Here's the second, and we won't spend as long here because it echoes much of the first, but it's a little different, and it's not only acknowledge who He is and give glory to Him for who He is, but it is give thanks for what He has done. There are three 
commands after this. So the first three commands happen with shout and serve and sing. And then you have that right there, acknowledge. That was the core around everything, kind of turn. And then you have three more. Enter, give thanks, and give praise. Enter, come before Him. It's a conscious decision. That means that as you prepare to enter into His place, as you come into this time of worship, as you enter, as they were into the temple, but into the necessity of corporate worship, that as you enter into that, you come with a mind that is already joyful and thankful. Can I ask how you enter worship yourself? Do you enter skeptically, like, I don't know if this would be good or not. Do you enter preparing for ways that you can criticize, looking for reasons to be upset? Do you enter thinking, I hope they do something I like, I hope they do something I want? Because if those are the attitudes of your heart instead of joy and thanksgiving, then you're already setting yourself up to be in a place where you don't truly experience the Lord. Come before Him in a conscious decision with what? With thanks. Thanks is an acknowledgement of what He has done. It's a public acknowledgement. Back to that example. This is not a promise, thank you Lord for what you are. This is publicly, I am here and giving thanks to God because of what He has done. And it says to praise Him. To come into us with thanksgiving. To come into it with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Praise His name. It's that word is a shout. It's a joy. It's enthusiasm. It's a glowing report. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but what happens is it builds towards that middle fourth uh, command of acknowledge or recognize. And then when you kind of break out from it, you have inner twice, you have thanksgiving and gladness there. And then on the backside of it, beginning and ending is shout and praise, which are two synonymous words that mean basically the same thing. This last one has a little bit of a different variance. And the different variance there is that it is to be something that elevates in the minds of unbelievers the understanding of who God is. It is speaking good about God. It's giving a glowing report. And then it gives us the reasons here. And this is things he's done. Why do we praise him? Why do we sing? Why do we do all that? It's because he is good. Not only is he Lord, he is good. To be good means to promote, enhance, protect, and preserve life. It means it is a life-giving, it is beneficial. As one commentator said, it means that God is the source of all that makes life enjoyable and worthwhile. It's not only because he's good, it's because of his faithful love. In fact, this is kind of the second part of something that became a formula for them, almost a, a, a responsive kind of saying, that they would say things like, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And then they would respond, the people would respond, and His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. There's a psalm, you may remember this, where that phrase is repeated again and again and again and again and again and again. It's right around seven words, and it's repeated a lot more than 11 times in it. 
Some of you got that. You might not have liked it, but you got it. And the idea is that you are giving thanks to God is what makes life worthwhile and He makes life enjoyable in everything about it and His faithful love to us endures forever. The word faithful love there means His covenant love. That He has made us His people and He has promised us to never leave us or forsake us. It is the covenant that is established on this side of the cross by the fact that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, has risen from the grave, and because of that we have salvation in Him and we can assure ourselves, blessed assurance, that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story and this is my song. Because of that, I'm going to praise my Savior all the day long. It's the faithful love and His faithfulness. Morning by morning, day after day, His mercies are new. Psalm 100 is an amazing call to praise, to singing, to shouting, to worshiping, to throwing off whatever we might envision as decorum for the glory of our God. I want to say real quickly, that doesn't mean it's anything goes. It is bracketed by the knowledge of who He is. This is the Old Testament version of John chapter 4 when Jesus says that you are to worship me in spirit and in truth. That it can't be emotion without the truth of the gospel, but it can't be the truth of the gospel without emotion. If you know everything you know about God and it doesn't lead you to exaltation, to exorbitant praise of our God, then you don't know enough about God. And my question to you simply is this. Psalm 100 reminds us that it is our command not suggestion. That we are to shout triumphantly to the Lord. That we are to serve the Lord with gladness. That we are to come before Him with joyful songs. Those commands are not pick one that you like either. Well, I'm pretty good at that serving with gladness. I have a good attitude when I serve. But that singing and that shouting, that's not me. It's not pick your choice. Acknowledge the Lord is good. That He created us and we are His people. Then come with thanksgiving, joy, ready to worship, ready to give praise and honor. For God is great, but He has done good things for us. He is both great and good, and we give Him praise for who He is and what He has done. And we do it out of a sense of just a realization that we don't deserve any of it. We're not entitled to any of it. And be a witness to the world around us through the exuberance of our worship that our God is worthy of our praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Let's pray. During this time of response, we're going to 
celebrate the greatness of our God. And I hope that it is a moment for you to put into practice what Psalm has commanded us. To sing joyfully to the Lord. I realize anytime that we talk about worship, anytime we talk about decorum in worship, anytime we talk about what goes on, that some people get upset or nervous. I just want you to listen to those commands again. To shout and to serve and to sing and to know and to enter, to give thanks, and to praise. Yes, that might look different for different people, but the core is all the same. And it is our call and command as a people, as much as an individual. Today, if you're here, and maybe you just need to come and pray that the Lord will give you a heart that isn't critical, isn't full of critique, isn't looking for things to criticize, isn't looking for things to to worry about or not like. The Lord give you an attitude just to come ready to worship. Maybe you're here and there's something in your life that you feel like preventing you from that and you need to just let that go to the Lord. Maybe you're, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe when you hear about a God that is worthy of the joy and the happiness of our life, that's what you want. You need that. I can tell you that you can look into our God and what Jesus has done for us, and it only make us the happiest people on earth. And maybe you have never given your life to Jesus, and this morning you're ready to do that. Perhaps you're just here, and you need to pray, you need to talk, you need to have the Lord present in your life in a real way. During this time of response, I'm just going to ask you to respond however the Lord leads you to respond. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this moment your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that you would remind us again and again about the joy that will be part of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.